This podcast is sponsored by Media First, who design and deliver bespoke media, message development, presentations and crisis communications training. Find out more by visiting mediafirst.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of The Media Landscape. I'm Julia Bell and I'm going to be talking you through the week's news and preparing you for what's ahead, if I possibly can. Um, We're here to help particularly if you work in the likes of PR and comms. So today, a focus on new restrictions that came in on Tuesday the 7th of December, of course, in response to the spread, particularly of this new Omicron variant of COVID. After that, we'll take a look at what I think is a pretty shocking story, actually, that that came out this week about an American company, Better.com, that fired around 900 people via Zoom and some particularly kind of insensitive parts of that Zoom call were captured and shared on social media. And then finally, there does seem to be a theme this week on the front pages of the government being haunted by past mistakes. So we'll unpack all of that as well. And then the last segment will be our journal on the go, where this week I'll have a five minute catch up with Lawrence McGinty, the former science and medical editor for ITV News. He'll be giving us a steer on what he thinks, with his expert opinion, we can expect from the media landscape in the coming weeks and months. Okay, looking firstly then at the data for COVID-19, including that from this new Omicron variant that was first discovered in South Africa. um, On a positive front, the daily death rate has been falling in the UK, but uh, new recorded cases of COVID have been going up quite rapidly. Uh, The latest numbers I've got are from the 6th of December, where there were just under 51,000 new recorded cases in that one day. If you compare that, just to give you context, if you compare that to a month before, so exactly a month ago, 6th of November, there were 30,000 new cases on that day. As for the government's responses to that, we know that we've, we've now got this new mask mandate that's come back for us to have to wear them in shops and on transport. Bear in mind that's in England because in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, those rules have pretty much always been there. Uh, but now to add to that, new measures have kicked in on Tuesday the 7th of December around travel. And those are that basically anybody aged 12 or over coming into the UK from abroad now has to show a negative PCR test within 48 hours of setting off. Uh, And we're also seeing, of course, the return of this red list, which remember, it means if you come in from one of the countries on that list, you're straight into a guarded quarantine hotel, whether you're vaccinated or not. And that comes with, you know, extensive costs, upwards of £2,000. Still, though, do you know, with all that in mind and with scientists showing concern uh, for the rate that this virus strain can spread, the government maintains that there's no lockdown in sight and that Christmas 2021 is on. I think it's going to be a great Christmas. Look, all the family, friends, loved ones that being able to get together in a way we haven't been able to do uh, for a couple of years, I think is really important. Of course, we'll continue to be vigilant about variants, but I think people should uh, enjoy Christmas, get their loved ones around them, celebrate it in a way we haven't been able to in the past. That was Deputy Prime Minister Dominic Raab speaking to Andrew Marr on Sunday the 5th of December. Let's move on. Um, A story that, to be honest, kind of horrified me, which surrounds Vishal Garg, the the chief executive of the mortgage firm Better.com, who sat on a Zoom call 
and fired around 900 people in one go. And it's kind of a two-pronged story, really, because firstly, there's discussions around his method of firing people, you know, literally rounding up almost a thousand people and firing them on the spot. But then the other thing people are discussing is his tone when he did it. And unfortunately for Garg, someone recorded what he said. And now it's everywhere on social media being picked apart and pulled apart word by word. Have a listen to this. I come to you with not great news. This isn't news that you're going to want to hear. uh, But ultimately, it was my decision. And I wanted you to hear from me. It's been a really, really challenging decision to make. I've this is the second time in my career I'm doing this and I do not, do not want to do this. The last time I did it, I cried. Um, this time I hope to be stronger. If you're on this call, you are part of the unlucky group being laid off. Your employment here is terminated effective immediately. I wish you all the best of luck. Thank you for everything you've done for better. I don't even know how to follow up that clip, to be honest. What do I say after you've just listened to that? And, and listen, I know there's no perfect way to let someone go, but this surely is some sort of textbook way not to do it. Um, and incidentally, I caught the Professor of Business Ethics at University of Warwick, which is where I went, uh, and she was unpacking this on BBC News. Her name is Mariana Fataki, and she was really critical, particularly of the comments that Garg made about how this was affecting him he's finding it very hard he cried last time he had to do this he's hoping to be stronger this time you know this professor even used the term narcissistic leadership and while I'm no professor of business ethics I was thinking exactly the same thing maybe not in such fancy terms but I can't possibly really imagine any of them will have been thinking oh wow I hope I hope he's okay um and and in a wider sense I am interested to see how this affects uh, Better.com's customer base. You know, they're an online mortgage firm. And so by nature, they are customer centric, serving the general public in the US. Uh, I'm just wondering, will people be thinking, hang on, if this is their internal treatment of people, what's, (laughs) what's the reality of their treatment towards little old me? You know, one external member of the public. Okay, lastly then, before our journo on the go segment, I have, I've I've noticed this sort of running theme, basically, which is in the papers this week. And that is these mistakes that the government have made that are now, in essence, coming back to haunt them, seemingly all at once. And a key one of those, it surrounds this whistleblower, who's a former Foreign Office official, Raphael Marshall is his name, who has accused the Foreign Office of handling the Kabul airport evacuation, so the Afghanistan evacuation back in August, absolutely appallingly. And the list of accusations that Marshall makes goes on and on. Uh, So one is that only 5% of the 150,000 people who actually needed help got any. Um, He said, in some cases, dogs and cats were prioritised over humans in getting them and airlifting them out. These are all accusations at this time. But if any of it is true, it's deeply damning. Marshall is not holding back. And Dominic Raab, who was the foreign secretary at the time that this happened, has said that Marshall was a, quote, 
relatively junior desk officer. I'm interested in whether bringing up the whistleblower's lack of seniority was a good idea. You know, does it imply, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about? Does it diminish his credibility because he is so junior? Or could it be perceived as being a bit defensive or even a bit petty? So that's kind of one thing um, that seems to be creeping up on the government. I'm, I'm interested because I think this will rumble on, especially if more people come out to support these claims. But along with that, the government are still fighting off these Christmas party rumours. Um, this alleged party that took place at Downing Street on the 18th of November last year, 2020. Uh, reports of drinks, party games, mingling at a time where London was very much in tier three thus meaning parties were absolutely and completely illegal. And every spokesperson that you listen to denies this, uh, denies any kind of quote-unquote rule-breaking anyway. But if someone slips, or if a named source comes out, because at the moment all of these sources are unnamed, I suspect there will be serious trouble. Long-lasting headline stuff, you know, the kind of thing that plagues the front pages for ages. That's just my prediction on this and I would hope in that event that the government do not need to impose any more restrictions around Christmas particularly around Christmas parties because I mean god like the narrative of this you know one rule for you another rule for everyone else would I imagine completely undermine them but speaking of challenges in health and in health news it's time for our journal on the go segment where I caught up with Lawrence McGinty the former science and medical editor for ITV News. I started by asking him what sticks out as the most important story in health news. There's only really one issue and that's this Omicron uh, variant. Um, in South Africa there was a burst of, uh, of cases and now in uh, Britain uh, the latest figure in Parliament yesterday was about 300. Most people think that's an underestimate because there are cases that aren't detected so it's probably around a thousand cases. And some people think this is um, the case numbers are growing, doubling uh, every two or three days. Now, if that's the case, uh, by Christmas, we'll have about a million cases in the UK. And in January, it will have outcompeted. It will have wiped out the Delta variant. It will be the dominant variant. Wow. OK. The, the good news about Omicron is that it appears to be a lot milder than Delta. And if we look back to what happened in South Africa, uh, yes, there was a, a huge explosion of cases there, but there wasn't a massive spike in the number of people who had to go to hospital. So it could be that this virus is evolving. Um, and this quite often happens with viruses. They evolve into a form that's less virulent. Because that way, they can infect more people, thousands, millions of people, uh, but not actually kill them. Um, and from the virus's point of view, that's the success. That's an evolutionary success. Yeah. Although, like you say, you know, we're living in an age where we never know anything. And do you, I wonder if you think it's best at this point for organisations to just permanently adapt their attitude to being consistently ready for crisis management and consistently ready for last minute changes of the rules. Do you think that is advisable or do you think at one point we will reach finally a post-pandemic time? I don't think we will reach a post-pandemic time. I, I think this virus is here to stay. The hope is uh, that it will become 
a much less serious illness. We've already got lots of treatments, vi uh, vaccines, um, and the hope is that, that those two things will mean, even for people who are badly affected, it's a much less serious deal. Now, who knows? Um, and I think anyone who isn't prepared for the worst news um, is going to be in trouble, um, especially if you're trying to talk to the public. Okay, well, with that in mind, uh, sort of crystal ball in hand, where do you see health news leading in the next two weeks, in the next two months? Well, I think there's, there's an issue that's in a way sneaking up on us, um, and that is the number of non-COVID things uh, that are being delayed uh, by COVID. Uh, for example, there was a survey recently that showed in uh, 40 hospitals in Britain, uh, which showed um, that 13,000 operations have been cancelled, planned operations, the elective yeah. operations, all the ones that you, uh, you, you know when you're going in. Yeah. If I was running a news desk now, I'd be asking my reporters to try and find case studies, to try and find people who'd had their, their operations cancelled. Yeah, I think we're all just impatiently waiting on the scientific data at this point, because then at least we can psychologically prepare for whatever, whatever it is that's in store. You know, the problem is that, that, yes, we're waiting for the data, but in the meantime, people have to make decisions. I mean, on a personal note, I'm going away at Christmas, um, and I've had to think really hard, do I still want to go away? People are having to make decisions without knowing all the facts. Exactly. Well, listen, Lawrence, I hope you get to go away, and thank you for joining us. Thank you to Lawrence and thank you for listening. That is all from me today. So I'll be back to walk you through the media landscape next week. I hope you found our first episode helpful. Make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss the next one, if that's the case. And in the meantime, in between episodes, if you'd like more material on the folks at Media First, check out the blog, which provides topical analysis and expert media training three times a week. It's a great resource and links for all of the above will be discoverable in the episode description. All right, take care. The Media Landscape is produced by 37 and sponsored by Media First. You can find out more about each company by visiting 37.agency and mediafirst.co.uk. The show is produced, edited and hosted by me, Julia Bell. James White is our executive producer and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So drop us a line to themedialandscape at 37.agency. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you like to get your podcasts and leave us a nice review.